discussion, debate is over, you will write a formal apology. I will what? A formal apology. You will kowtow, you will step and fetch. Frank, if you think you can get take me... Get used to it, it's the way of the world. If you're so hot on discipline, then gun damn it, start by accepting mine. Because contrary to popular opinion, I'm the head in charge. Come on, let's get something to eat. You really think you're bad, don't you? This segment of Gundam at MAHQ is brought to you by Petco. Welcome back to Gundam at MAHQ for day two of Comic Con 2009 with your boy Sobro Ryu. Well, um, yesterday was, well, it was slower than the first day, but um, that was only on account of me because I just got lost walking around the, um, the convention room floor looking at the different booths like Fox and WB, and of course I had to go back to the Capcom booth and get a little bit more action there. Also, other video game companies are there like Microsoft and Sony, and um, DC Universe has a pretty good booth set up for their uh, online um, MMORPG that's coming out soon. I know you can create your own character in that and um, have them interact with other superheroes from the DC Universe, including your favorites, uh, Batman and Superman and so forth. But for the most part, though, I haven't had the chance to hit all the video game booths yet, but I plan on going to them all when I get the chance. Other than that, I got to hit at least one panel yesterday. Viz Media had a panel that showcased their new anime and manga that they have out this year or coming out soon. First they premiered their Shonen Sunday line. Part of that line are a couple of new series that are either out now or coming out soon. One of them is Kikaishi. Another one is Mal Juvenile Remix. Then there's Hide and Closer. Then we have Arita the Legend. And last but not least, we have uh, Rumiko Takahashi's uh, latest endeavor, Rene. That is really unique because the first volume of that comes out here October 20th and what's really significant about it is is that it will come out at the same time it is released in Japan. They're specifically running this manga so that it comes out simultaneously in America and Japan and it's probably the first of its kind to do so. If it isn't, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're really they're really excited about it and it was through a concerted effort between um the Takahashi camp and Viz and they talked about that quite a bit as well as um showed off the shonensunday.com website where you can actually uh, preview all these mangas there. They have um, a pretty good layout and you if you want to check out any of those mangas you're more than welcome to. I'm sure a lot of you already familiar with them um they talked about other release dates for some of the other mangas they did but uh, another point of interest was the studio ghibli library apparently they are publishing an art book for ponyo the latest uh, miyazaki film and miyazaki was here yesterday promoting it as well uh i i didn't get to make it in that panel although i tried it was a disney panel but uh, miyazaki was also there to talk about ponyo also, they um, talked about Ponyo hitting theaters on August the 14th, and they're going to release film comics of the movie, starting with volumes 1 and 2 on August the 4th, and then volumes 3 and 4 on September the 1st. Also, they're releasing a picture book on August the 4th, but what's more, what was more intriguing to me is that a Miyazaki biography, or more so a compilation of interviews that he's had over the years, is also coming out very soon on August the 4th. It's called Starting Point. And it details interviews with him from 1979 to 1996. And it uh, is translated by one of my favorite authors, Frederick L. Schott. 
And also, by um, in addition, um, he's partnered up with uh, Beth Carey. They both worked on translating uh, those interviews and putting them in that book. The book has a forward by John Lasseter from Pixar, and it's pretty thick. They showed it on the stage, and it's pretty interesting. Um, that book is even out here, and uh, I, I, I'm very interested in getting it myself. I know most of you guys probably aren't interested in this, but some of you guys probably have children, and if you do, you might actually take interest in the new line that Viz is starting up called Viz Kids. I think they mentioned that they had a... Um, a kids line earlier but i guess it didn't do so well but they're they're revamping it so that they can appeal to a younger demographic from what they described i think it's a pretty good idea one of the first series that they plan on putting out there is a novella version of dragon ball the original series what they're doing is taking the um, the mangas that started off with dragon ball and putting them into chapter books so they're kind of like a written you know, just like more of a conventional novel that kids can read or parents can read to their kids. And what they did is they took out all the naughty jokes that are in Dragon Ball and replaced it with the same kind of spirit and humor that is in Dragon Ball. But they, they, they kind of streamlined it so that American children can actually enjoy it and parents can enjoy it with them. Next, they also have a manga adaptation of The Legend of Zelda, The Four Swords, which is um, part of a long line of uh, Zelda manga adaptations that have been out for a while now. And they've started with the original Zelda series and moved onward with the different Zelda series. And Volume 6 and 7 of this series focus on the Four Swords. And those are coming out soon. Um, they also have kind of a series of Where's Waldo books called Let's Find. And they showed off Let's Find Pokemon. And then there's other series that they showed off called Dinosaur Hour, Happy Happy Clover, and Choco Mimi. Also, there's Shoujo Beat, their manga label for adolescent females. They talked about a few series that are that are on that label, such as Missin, and that's spelled M-I-S-S-I-N, which is actually a, um, a light novel series. They have that coming out in the two-book box set. Vampire Night, they mentioned that Volume 7 and 8 are coming out soon, as well as a Vampire Night anime, which they just licensed. The long-running series Nana, they announced the DVD box set for the first 11 and a half episodes. Um, they said that's coming out on September the 8th. Um, Honey and Clover, the first 13 episodes of that are getting released in the box set on September 22nd. And you can find both of those shows on iTunes and Hulu. On Hulu, it's English sub. And finally, my favorite line from Viz, the Viz signature line. They showed off some of the titles that are coming out or already out with that. Um, one of them is Dogs, and that comes out, the first volume comes out August the 12th, and the second volume on December the 8th. Vagabond Volume 4 and 5 are out soon. Uh, what a Wonderful World, they um, talked about that in volume, Volumes 1 and 2 come out October the 20th, and they said that that was up for an Eisner Award for tonight's Eisner Awards that are being held here. Uh, I won't be able to attend that, so... <laughs> Uh, if anything, if you want to check out the results online, you're more than welcome to do that, too. Pluto Volume 4, a um, series from one of my favorite authors, uh, Naoki Urasawa, is also out, as well as 5 is coming out soon. For those who don't know, that is a manga series that is a retelling of a story arc from Astro Boy, or Tetsuwan Adam, where uh, there are seven powerful robots in the world. One of them is known as Pluto, and he's the strongest of them, and apparently he goes rogue and starts killing the other members of his group. And um, one of the other robots is a detective, and he is on the case to find out who's murdering these robots, and then eventually the, the trail will lead to Pluto. But um, Astro Boy also makes a, an appearance in it. As he, and, and what's really neat about this manga is that 
everybody is drawn realistically. At least, it, you know, realistically as Orisawa draws, but it's it's Astro Boy in a way you've never seen it. This manga series kind of borders on Ghost in the Shell type science fiction. Very cyberpunkish, but still has that Tezuka feel. But um, anybody who's interested should check that out. It's really good. It's not the Astro Boy that you might be thinking it is, but this seems to be the year of Astro Boy since um, the movie's coming out. Check that out. Pluto's really good. I have the first two volumes, and I'll be picking up some more while I'm here. But um, also, they touched upon 20th Century Boys, which is another Naoki Urasawa series. And they mentioned that volumes four and five will be out soon. Um, another great series that also has a, um, a movie trilogy that's in the works in Japan. Parts one and two are already out, and part three should be out this year. And they mentioned after the panel, um, the por- during a portion where I wasn't able to record, they mentioned that uh, Viz has already acquired the rights to 20th century boys those those movies so they'll be bringing those out here soon as well last but not least they announced the box set for the anime adaptation for monster which is also a naoki urasawa series if you couldn't guess um the entire manga is already out here now but the anime had been pretty much in the abyss of licensing and they finally got the rights to do it i remember hearing um some time ago that it was going to be airing on a um, cable network on an on-demand service so that people could watch but for those who don't have that it will also be on DVD in December of this year. Episodes 1 through 15 will be in the first box set. So I'm really excited about that. I can't wait to get that myself. Oh, I almost forgot. They um, also mentioned that Inuyasha, I know a longtime favorite for a lot of anime fans, will finally be concluded in a film. That film is appropriately called The Final Act, and Viz has already Viz has obtained the license. Viz has obtained the license to that, and that'll be coming out in the future. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when, probably sometime next year after it's made in Japan, but um, they, you can keep up on that information by going to therumicworld.com. But um, my intentions for tomorrow are to go to the Adult Swim Development and Venture Brothers panel, which I hope I can get into. Um, there's a lot of panels going on tomorrow. Some of them I don't have a shot of getting into, but uh, <laughs> but uh, there's, there's other ones that I might have a chance to get into. So my main focus is to go to the Adult Swim panel tomorrow and see what they got cooking for Adult Swim, even though um, for the most part we haven't really been that much interested in Adult Swim, save for them showing Code Geass as of recently, and of course Venture Brothers, and um, hopefully they have um, a new season of Boondocks on tap, but we'll see about that. But anyway... Um, that's it for me for now. Um, thanks for listening, and I'll be back tomorrow with more um, Comic-Con info. Need a cake, but you don't want something boring from the local supermarket or bakery? In the South Florida area, try EpicSugarWorks.com. This bakery specializes in creating cakes based off of your favorite anime series, video game character, or whatever custom design you're looking for. Their online store also features anime and video game themed chocolate lollipops, as well as gift certificates if you want to give something to somebody. So if you're looking for a cake that's above the norm, go to EpicSugarWorks.com. It's epically delicious. Boy, it's lucky you had these kind of rooms. Use them for smuggling. I never thought I'd be smuggling myself in them. This is ridiculous. Even if I could take off, I'd never get past the tractor beam. Leave that to me. Goddamn fool, I knew that you were going to say that. Who's the more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him?
Welcome back to Gundam at Comic-Con 2009. In this segment, I attended the Viz panel, where they went over all the manga and the animes they have coming out in the next year. Enjoy. Um, 
So um, you will find a lot of you in stuff up here, such as, for instance, we are hosting three online previews of Rune, which is the latest series by Rika Takashi. As you know, she is the creator of Inayasha, Mwaha, Koku, and this goes on So um, this is a shot taken from chapter 13, which was loaded just two days ago. So 13 chapters are up on my already, so you guys can check them out. And then, um, Mike, you want to speak a little bit about what's in store for people for this chapter? Chapter 13? Yes. Chapter 13, I don't know if and she has the power to see and speak and interact with ghosts. Um, and Rinde is uh, uh, sort of a shitty guy. Uh, he's kind of a god of death. He sends spirits on to the afterlife. And so he and uh, Sakura team up to help wayward ghosts make it to the afterlife. And uh, I think in this one, there is a new life for Rinde coming along. Time, which is pretty cool, it's pretty funny. Uh, this, is, this is a comedy, by the way, by the book of the and uh, it's, uh, when it started, I think a lot of people were drawing comparisons to the location and such, but you kind of have a hard time uh, drawing such comparisons to the book of She'll do things her own way, and uh, she definitely put her stamp on this one. Um, it's, uh, developing quite nicely. There's some really uh, funny and cute characters in it, and uh, definitely worth checking out. Great. So we just announced this. Actually, the first volume of Rinne is coming out this October. What's really special about this is because for the first time ever, we are releasing a volume of manga at the same time as it's being released in Japan. So... <laughs> So we are very, very excited and we hope you guys check it out because it's a great series and you know has everything and has all the uh, trademark little specialties. So okay, and um, what are things we're doing? Oh, Renee, I can hope For the Wi-Fi sponsor for City of Comic-Con. And um, this is one of the themes, actually, there are uh, four of them. But I think if you go to the URL at the bottom, you can go and download um, these themes for your um, Gmail accounts and iGoogle. I actually have that slide up if you want to check it out. So this is what the whole page looks like, and there's Rinne right there. Inuyasha is big, so um, this, this series has been going on for a while, but we are actually bringing you volumes 1, 2, and 3 in one edition for $17.99. Um, this series uh, so is now reading right to left so in the original format. And um, Mike actually is the editor for that. And um, this is coming out in November. Thank you. No. 
Alright, we've got uh, the Inuyasha manga going. Uh, starting with volume 38, we've actually switched it, so it is reading from right to left now. And uh, releasing monthly, so, so very soon we'll be able to catch up. But, uh, you know, Japan's already done, but you know, one day we will get there. <laughs> but monthly, you guys, uh, volume 39, we do have early copies. Um, and volume 38 and 39 are available to be So if you're in a rush to get your uh, volume 39, it's available now here at the show early. Okay, Inuyasha Anime, we just recently announced the digital editions and what we're doing with them. We have season one, volume one. So it's going to be now available on iTunes. So the first time ever, the English dub versions. And then you can also watch Inuyasha, the subtitle version, on Hulu, episodes 1 through 32. New episodes are going up every week, so I think we, uh, everything's available right now, 167 episodes. So those are going to be going up slowly on Hulu, so just be on the lookout for that. Okay, and here's some really exciting news. Inayasha, the final act. Oh. This was not the continuation and actually, um, I mean, the conclusion of the Inayasha. It was recently announced in Japan, so we are very, very pleased to be able to let all of you guys know that we are actually bringing it to North America. So uh, that is. Unfortunately, all I can say right now. However, <laughs> so keep visiting the womenworld.com again, the official home for all things related to Hashi. Be on the lookout for updates and you can send in this information. Alright, so we're very, very excited. Okay, Kaishi is a series that we have um, for Shonen Sunday that's moving under the Shonen Sunday imprint. Volume 18 is, uh, is to be available very soon. So if you guys are not familiar with this story, um, Mike, continue all the way. Yeah, Kaishi is, uh, like I said, a student by day, even when I'm two high school students are trying to maintain the tradition of their house and uh, hunting down demons. Once who specialize in creating barriers around their prey, the Ayakashi, 
as the Harrisdale family business, Yoshi Morris Sweetwater, and Tokyo Kimura continue on their mission to protect the console crowds. Uh, above the, above the water. But as she is a human, 
um, she, the, it knocks sort of the balance of nature out of whack and um, all sorts of crazy things happen. Um, and there is a, a point at which Ponyo has to decide whether or not she wants to return to the sea or become human um, fully, permanently. So there isn't the whole sort of sequel that there is in the original story of we have four film comments for this, uh, for the movie. Um, two of them will be released on August 4th, volumes one and two. Volumes three and four will be released a month later, uh, September 1st. Um, and the film comics, I'm sure you're familiar with any other movie, um, the time has been done. The film comics have stills from the movie, um, sort of in manga form, full color, really, really beautiful. Um, we will also have uh, an accompanying picture book for this, uh, for the movie. Oh, here's my Oh, sorry. Um, before we have the picture book, we'll have the art book, um, which is such a lovely volume. It's, uh, I know probably not everyone can see this, but it's a behind-the-scenes look at the making of uh, the So, of course, we'll have Yazaki's notes and early sketches, uh, and then in the very back, there is a screenplay. So, really, really lovely volume to have. And then we'll also have the picture book, um, which again has stills from the movie, and uh, it's really it's retold in the movie retold in prose format with a little bit of um, of sort of comic elements as well. Uh, again, it's a really it's a thick volume, something really lovely to read to a little one before bed. Um, and I think seventeen seven. Um, yes, I think everything, the film comic volume one and the art book um, are available as the, as well as this book right here. Right, so starting point, um, this is something that we're really excited about. It's uh, sort of a biography, a collection of uh, interviews and notes and articles um, that the Inductee, from speeches that the Inductee gave. Um, talking about his life as an animator from 1979 to 1996. And it really is from the very beginning. He talks about his childhood when he first fell in love with anime and manga. Um, and then his, his realization that manga has a very, um, very specific meaning to him that may not be the same for everyone. Um, he talks about um, how he feels animation is really specifically for children, regardless of what other um, talks about the decision to create Studio Ghibli and that process. Uh, he talks about the, um, the differences between the entertainment industry and the United States and Japan. I mean, there's really so much, there's so much in there. It's a very thick volume. There's a lot going on. He even comments on the first Gulf War, which is kind of fascinating. <laughs> very interesting things to say about George H.W. Bush. Um, uh, <laughs> Um, and then, my favorite part of this, it's in the center, which I'm sure you're not all going to be able to see, but there are these lovely color pages from a comic that he produced for an airline magazine. And then there are also these images from his scrapbook, which are just stunning. I mean, they're so, they're like professionally rendered and you think they were finished art, but they're just things that he's doing around. Um, so really, if you're a Miyazaki fan, uh, it's a, it's a must-have it for your library. And the films that are mentioned in it are all the ones that you imagine, talking about Pass in the Sky, Geeky Delivery Service, My Neighbor, My Neighbor, Little Rock, and Ashka. It's really such a lovely 
those of you who are fans, and I'm sure there are many. Um, if you recall, it has a lot of humor that's probably not appropriate for younger children. <laughs> All of that has been rewritten. Uh, the spirit of the manga is still very much in, very much part of these chapter books, but um, you know, the where the humor is not necessarily appropriate in the manga, we have found a way to uh, preserve the spirit, uh, but remove the inappropriate elements for uh, younger children. The really exciting thing, or there are a couple of really exciting things about these books. First, that the art on the cover, in some cases, is art that has never been seen in color before, um, and in other cases, is art that has been uh, sort of cleaned up in its color. So, for example, this image on chapter book two, which again, you can't see what we're about there, was originally a panel from a manga that, that has been colored um, by the sort of official colorist for um, all things Dragon Ball. So this has been, these have been done in Japan, especially for the chapter book series. Um, we're really excited about that. And, uh, it's always fun to sort of bring new life to something that's been around for, for some time in this way. The other really exciting thing is that we were able to take the, the manga panels and blow them up um, in a way that, to make them look really like traditional chapter illustrations. So we've taken them completely out of the uh, frames that they're in in the manga and really, really used them as you can see illustrations in traditional uh, Western textbooks used. Uh, and in some cases, we had to sort of retouch the art um, to sort of maintain the look, but it was really important for us to uh, show off the art as much as possible in this format. So we're really, really excited about these books. They have been, uh, they're written by the original uh, uh, rewriter for, or, or adapter, sorry, for um, the Dragon Ball manga. So we're sort of keeping it all in the family and keeping it all as authentic as we possibly can. Um, they're so charming, and if you are looking for something for uh, kids who are slightly younger, slightly too young for the manga, this is a really great adaptation. Because of course, Goku ultimately, at the very beginning, was a ten-year-old kid who, you know, kid dads, and kids don't want to speak about that. So, Dragon Ball Yeah, maybe we actually like the kids. Yeah, the Biscuit line is for uh, the Legend of Zelda manga is uh, done by Jackie Mikau, which is actually a collaboration with two artists and creators. And um, each line of the volume basically focuses on one of the games, the original Legend of games, uh, such as Ocarina uh, of Time, Four swords, you can see there, Jordan Mask, and some of the others. And uh, the creators worked with Nintendo, uh, <coughs> basically, to get it all started up in And they also had a little bit of uh, freedom to expand the background of the Zelda world a little bit. Um, so you get a little bit more depth in there. And, uh, I think these are really well done uh, for a, an adaptation of video games. They definitely have. Uh, Good story, it reads really well, and uh, they're a lot of fun. And you don't need to read the sequence, uh, because each one is a six-month step of game. So you can pretty much go in anywhere in the series that we have out right now and be able to pick it up. <coughs>
have uh, the latest iteration, which is Let's Find Pokemon Fire. Um, and it features characters, obviously, from that generation of the game. Um, and then all of these gorgeously colored threads and clues for the particular Pokemon that you're supposed to find within the threads. So a lot of uh, hours and hours for young ones and certainly something that you'll Yeah, I'm 
August 18th for that one. Vampire Night. So for fans of Vampire Night, who have not heard of Volume 7, that is available at the booth right now. We have early copies. So of course, this is you know one of the most exciting shows in manga in North America right now. And if you're not familiar with it, it is a supernatural romance, um, basically kind of highlighting a, a love triangle between um, you know, an elite pure-blood vampire, a vampire hunter, and a beautiful young girl with a mysterious past. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, that might be you know. Um, she, she also did um, Captain Hearts once again, so a very exciting creator. And then here's exciting news regarding Vampire Night. Sasha Miyamoto, the, uh, the guy who wrote the book of five rings. And 
this one is just, it's, it's fantastic. If you haven't seen it, you're missing out. You definitely have to check this out. Great story, uh, fantastic characterizations, beautiful art, really cool action. Um, similar to Indiana, we have the manga ongoing as we're releasing the Miss Biggs. Um, volume 4 um, of Miss Big is available now, which um, features um, volumes 10, 11, and 12. And that's happening right now if you want to pick up an early copy. Um, and then um, manga volume 30, um, which we're basically putting out as it's being uh, pretty soon after it's being published in Japan. So volume 30 will be available in November. Later or so, and then they're starting to notice 
some of the things that they prophesy, we're starting to come true. So this is a you know, really, really complex tale, incredible sci-fi mystery. So definitely worth checking out in volume four, available now. And, uh, as you know, Naoki Urasawa is the creator of Monster, which also um, was nominated for an Eisner as well, two Eisners, um, for tonight's um, Best Continuing Series and Best U.S. Edition of International Material. So, fingers crossed. And then, speaking of Monster, we have the Dini Fox set. This one finally happened, but yes, it is happening December 2009. First box set coming out, episodes 1 through 15, uncut, will be available this December. Okay, and that well, you all got presentation. <laughs> Welcome back. I had some time on the last day of Comic-Con to interview Shane Bettenhausen, who works for Ignition Entertainment, the company behind the localization of King of Fighters 12. Hey everybody, this is Sobro Ryu from Gundam at MAHQ. I'm sitting here um, talking with Shane Bettenhausen from um, Ignition Entertainment, and I just finished playing him in uh, King of Fighters 12, which is out now um, in most areas, and um, if it's not on your area, by the time you hear this, it will be soon. But um, Shane, what was your involvement in bringing this to the States? Well, actually, it was already in process when I came to Ignition and announced this game, and you know, I, I came here and kind of laid on it and helped with some of the promotional stuff. Went to Japan, talked to the guys there, you know, helped them through the approval process. And but really, I, you know, I wish I could have been there earlier because I could have told them like, "Where's my Yamazaki? Put him in it. Take out, take out whoever you have to take out to put in Yamazaki." But it was too late for that. And they, and they know you are my. Everyone knows that. But uh, you know, moving forward with SNK, I hope to be able to help you know make the games more with the Western audience one put the things in there that American gamers want. So I think moving forward, we'll, we'll see more, you know, cross-collaboration between Ignition and SNK. But this is kind of the game that SNK Playmore really wanted to make. And, you know, and one thing to say, the game is out now, but people who bought it early, uh, there's some issues with the online because there's a patch that's coming out on Tuesday that wasn't out yet. So so if you have the game, make sure you get that patch because that'll fix a lot of stuff. Right on. I'm glad I'm not going to be home until Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, early, early adopters, uh, you know, fire beware. 
I, I just 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 hit the training mode, everybody. <laughs> but um, what what um, overall, I mean, has the has the reaction to the game been pretty good? Yeah, you know, we threw a tournament back in the end of May in LA, and it was the first time that almost anybody had played the game in the U.S. because it didn't come out in arcades here; it only came out in Asia. And a lot of the top players from Asia and like Latin America, South America came, and it was fun to watch them learn, like relearn the game because it is pretty different. You know, there's the new gameplay things like critical counters, deadlocks, and a lot of the characters have reverted to their old movesets, and some characters have all new movesets. So it was interesting to see people relearn the game. But yeah, I think once you play a few matches of it, you, you, you kind of learn, and you learn that it is different. And you learned the new new pacing to it and personally I, I'm, I'm happy with what they've done with the game I think the graphics are great I think the gameplay is a little more defensive it even plays a little bit more like Street Fighter I think I'm cool with that actually yeah it looks like um, it looks like everybody's starting over <laughs> which I guess is good because I mean I, it, it'll at least allow people who um, who just you know are getting reintroduced to the fighting genre to um, to easily go into these games and then you know by the time sequels come out and whatnot they'll be able to you know the, the learning curve will already be there so but um, who's your favorite character in, um, in this game so far? Well, I have two. I have my favorite character and who I think is the best character. My favorite character is Ash Crimson. I think he's awesome and hilarious and stylish. And he's, you know, he's a charge-style character, kind of like Guile. And I love his little kiss fireballs. You can set up like these defensive traps. And he has two supers. Um, but I think the actual most effective character for me is Joe. Because Joe, he lost nothing. He has like all of his moves. He's got, he's really fast. I don't know. I, just, I love Joe. Joe's my guy who I bring out in a pinch. And uh, Athena's probably my number three. She's also really good, really fast. She has a lot of good priorities. And I'm thinking I might try to learn Kim because I keep getting my ass kicked with Kim. So I might, I might need to learn him now. Kim seems to be awesome, man. That's my first time playing it today. And um, Kim hasn't lost a step, even, even if even everybody's been rebooted. But um, overall, who seems to be top tier in this game, um, at, like at the tournament that you were at? Uh, a lot of a lot of Kyo, of course, Terry, Ralph, uh, Joe. I think the final was actually like Joe. Ter it was Joe, Terry, Kyo. You know, a lot of, a lot of the old faithfuls. Like people are kind of scared of like the more side characters. Like nobody's playing Raiden. Um, you know, like kind of the weird guys. No one's playing Dulan. So I think when the game's out there online and people are really playing it for real, we'll see. You know, who becomes the best character because you know, it's gonna be international play online. They'll be curious to see like you know what country has the best players, where are the best clans from. And I think, I think it's, it's still too early to say. Not bad, not bad. Um, another game that you guys, um, are you guys involved with the, the Samurai Showdown release that's coming out soon? Yeah, we actually wanted to have Samurai Showdown Edge of Destiny here at Comic-Con, but it's mature rated and we couldn't show it in this booth because it's really violent. Like decapitation, dismemberment, legs and arms getting cut off. Like, I was at SNK in, in Osaka and I walk in the room and the first thing I see is Halmar like slicing off Nakaruru's head no. and it's rolling across the ground. I'm like, oh God. That's so yeah, it's, it's incredibly violent. You know, Really, really, really violent. Not for kids. It's coming out for Xbox 360 this November. So, uh, yeah, that's one to watch. I mean, it is 3D, though, so for the 2D purists, that might be a little, like, you know, it's, a, it's an arcade game that came out in Japan a few years ago. Uh, it plays a little bit like uh, Soul Calibur meets Samurai Showdown meets Mortal Kombat because there's blood flying everywhere. But, yeah, it's a cool game. Uh, it's coming out in November. Man. I didn't even know it was that violent. Man. Pretty crazy, man. Man, Samurai Showdown, you're moving up. <laughs> and
And Muramasa, that's also coming out for the Wii soon. When is that actually coming out? Oh, yeah, that's coming out September 8th, and that's the game that I've been playing through these last two weeks, and man, I, I'm falling in love. Like, I first saw that game last year at Tokyo Game Show. I was still an editor back at uh, EGM back then, and, uh, you know, I, the previous game by that developer, VanillaWare, was called Odin Sphere. I like that game, I respect that game, but it was a little too weird, a little too hard, I never finished it. This one is more traditional. It's kind of like Super Metroid or Castlevania Symphony of the Night, but in a, you know, feudal Japan samurai and ninja setting, uh, and it's, it's an amazing game. Great art, super good gameplay. Like com the combo is kind of like Devil May Cry, but in a 2D setting. 40 levels, huge bosses. And it's and it's almost two games because the two different characters have different stories. They meet different characters, fight different bosses. Yeah, and then you know, for Wii, there aren't that many like meaty games. You just like sink your sink your teeth in, like get all these things, level up, find all these items. Yeah, it's it's the kind of game that made me dust off my Wii. And I think a lot of hardcore old school gamers will be happy it's coming in. What's cool about Comic Con? I watched little kids come and play it, and they love it. Like I wonder, like you know, can an eight-year-old kid like a 2D game? They Yes, that makes me happy. Hopefully it harkens back on uh, uh, the renaissance in that type of gaming, man, because um, I kindly, I totally miss the Castle Royale games on consoles. Yeah. But, um, yeah, um, you you guys have a great lineup. I mean, you guys are, are you know, I, I didn't I didn't know about it, 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 I didn't know about Ignition a year ago, but now I, it's all I ever hear about. And then, um, but, uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, well, about, um, you know, when I came on board, it was still kind of a small company. I didn't know that much about them myself. And they, they picked up things like King of Fighters, Muramasa, the Stylus Curve for DS, but then next year, I think the kind of games we're going to be announcing will really blow people away. Like things that are much bigger caliber. Yeah, we're going to we're going to stick with the Japanese stuff, the 2D stuff. That's where my heart is. But I think you're going to see some larger, more you know, cutting edge next gen style experiences you wouldn't expect from what we've done so far. So yeah, just keep an eye. And I know that we're going to be announcing stuff around Tokyo Game Show that people will be really, really excited about. Wow, well, I'm freaking excited. Well, Shane, thank you very much for um, taking time to talk to me today. Dude, I got to check out your website because I love Gundam.net. Best name ever. Like, really? Mississippi Gundam. I was just in Japan. I didn't get to see the one-one scale Gundam. I was very sad. I, I was, it's in Tokyo, and I really wanted to go. I was in Osaka, and I missed it because they're moving it. They're moving it at the end of the month. It's going to go to the Gundam Museum, so you should go check it out. Oh, so I, I was wondering where it was going to go to, because um, yeah, the, the, something that big, it's like, holy, they're going to dismantle it. They're, they're, just... no, they're going to move it full. It's going to cost a million dollars. They're going like, to like, lift it on helicopters over to the Gundam Museum. What? Yep. Man, well, I wish, you, I wish you had a chance to see it, too. I've been wanting to go over there to see it myself. I just keep seeing YouTubes of it. When it gets its permanent home, man, you should go on the Exodus to go visit the giant Gundam and pilot it, pilot it away. We'll go, when I go over there, we'll go on pilgrimage. Jeez, man, I love Gundam. Char, Char for life. Char for life. Oh, shoot. Well, you heard it here first. And uh, we'll be back with more Gundam and MHQ in a moment. Suddenly, there was a terrible roar all around us. And the sky was full of what looked like huge bats, all swooping and screeching and diving around the car. And a voice was screaming, Holy, Holy Jesus, Jesus, what are these Gundam animals? What's up, gang? This is Sobro Ryu coming to you live for Comic-Con 2009. I'm sitting in on the Capcom panel where they're going to be showing us some of their new games coming out soon. And it's about to start now. Hey, Hold on to your butts. Thank you, all for coming. We got some Capcom fans out there. We got this spectacular panel of uh, special guests from straight from Japan for you to show you our latest products that's coming out this year. I'm Francis Nakamura, Director of Creative Services and Events for Capcom. It's my pleasure to introduce our moderator, Seth Killian. 
many of you know the world-class champion Street Fighter II player, as well as the founder of the Evil Tournaments, and as well as the um, lead for CapcomUnity.com, our community, which all of you should be a member of. So we have a pretty awesome lineup here uh, coming into this next year, and we're very privileged to have uh, some amazing guests, some of the top talents in Capcom here today. So first off, we have the producer of Lost Planet 2, Mr. Jun Takeuchi. And he will be assisted by translator Jerome Reedy. Next up, we have the producer of Dark Boy, Morgan Gray. He will be followed by our Director of Design, Craig Kuyawa, who will be talking to us about Slideworks today. And next up, speaking on behalf of Resident Evil The Dark Side Chronicles, is Kawada-san. Yeah. And he will be assisted by Transitor Miguel Cortin. And last but not least, Ace Attorney Investigations.
here on the screen behind us. And um, the basis of the gameplay in Lost Planet 2 is to tackle these huge bosses with your three teammates, work together as a team, and figure out how to try to take these down. And that's uh, something that's, I think, a little bit different from any other shooter, uh, or co-op shooter you play. So in, in order to make these kind of boss fights fun to play uh, with four players simultaneously, we've uh, changed up the gameplay a little bit. You still have the uh, traditional weak points, you know from Lost Planet bosses, the orange glowing weak points. But uh, not only that, you can also go inside the boss's body and attack it from the inside out. <laughs> and uh, as you'll see just from uh, looking at the video, or maybe playing it down at the booth if you've gotten the chance to do that, there are many different ways to tackle this boss, many different ways to take it down uh, and defeat it and um, lots of different ways for you to team up with your teammates. Yeah, this kind of boss is uh, also running entirely off its own AI. It's not running off any uh, rail or route. And this is a completely different kind of boss than anything we've made in Capcom before. And the final of the three major uh, major changes to Lost Planet 2 that I want to mention is you saw the characters who were running around in that video just a second ago. You can customize uh, each of those characters individually to your taste. So you can create your own character that you can use in the single player, uh, on the online co-op, and in the online multiplayer. Well, I could sit here and talk about it all day, but I think it would be uh, easier to understand if we give you a little bit of a look at the trailer that we showed for the first time at uh, E3 a couple of weeks back. So let's have a look at that.
Applying towards the ground where you're perfectly safe, you're hunkered down, the enemies are at the distance. And now flipping on its head, we're using the jetpack to hold on for dear life. You're clinging from surfaces, interiors of alien installations, sides of waterfalls, why enemies are raining death from above and sort of spider monkeying around. Uh, the cool thing about vertical cover, uh, no one's ever done it, so that's kind of cool. The other cool thing is that it's not safe. Falling bodies will knock you off, explosions will shake you, so you still got to stay active. And the cool thing is all these gameplay types are all coexisting seamlessly and simultaneously, uh, which makes it a pretty unique experience that uh, you truly have to see it uh, to believe it. Mixed up in this is the concept of the world behind the world. So we've already figured we've got Bermuda Triangle, we've already got Nikolai Tesla, so we're sort of a retro steampunk, or what I like to call like techno-tech or dirty tech. Uh, so we thought about what if we took all the alien conspiracies that existed in the world and merged them into our fiction. So I don't know if we have a lot of uh, old, I mean, I guess X-Files is dated now, isn't it? Kind of old. Uh, any like UFO fans or UFO like conspiracy theories? So we play a lot with the concept of the reptilian race that was here before, the progenitor race, like who built the Mayan pyramids, who helped the Egyptians. And what if they were cast away and trying to get back home? So and a lot of our fiction is this concept of uh, Will helping the castaways of humanity that have found themselves in the void or happen to be born there try to return back to Earth by uh, battling these alien uh, oppressors. So we tie in everything from crop circles to the Santa Cruz mystery spot to Michael Jackson's Neverland Run Ranch, you know, weird places on the planet. Is it too soon? Sorry. It's just a ranch though, it's not MJ. Evil. Uh, anyways, we try to tie in a lot of the fictitious places, or real places, depending on your predilection, around the world where oddities have happened, and explain them through the concept of the void. Uh, it's massively single player, in that you get to play it by yourself and appreciate it with your friends. And uh, ideally, um, you know, any platform you want, PC, 360, Xbox. I got one more little video to show, and then I'll be moving on. So if we queue up this, we show this at E3, so... If you were there, you saw it, but if not, you need to check it out. Morgan, you're a very brave Cape Star for Ulysses. 
there are a lot of people I've seen walking around that might have an issue with that. So I'm not sure they're all waiting for you outside, actually. Not that, that's right. Uh, so I am the record designer over at Capcom US. I'm, I'm Craig, and I can talk about spyboards. Um, so I am a designer, and I'm almost physically immune to using PowerPoint. So if I get off track here, just ignore it and act like I know what I'm doing. So if we could, let's go ahead and show you a quick little trailer of what this little, uh, little game is about. Captain Commando kind of goes back to our heritage. 
we kind of wanted to reach back into that and just kind of make a game that was unashamed of itself. Just a bunch of action. You can kind of just be a casual player, get in there and play. And if you're a hardcore fan, it's something you can enjoy as well. I mean, there's a lot of Wii games out there, and most of them have Fit or Julian Michaels or something else in the name. So we thought, let's give people a break and actually kind of give them that hardcore Capcom game that you kind of uh, know and love. Um, in addition to that, we also kind of added some interesting mechanics to it. We have a spy vision uh, mechanic where while you're fighting bosses and enemies, you kind of search in the environment with a remote and pull things into the environment. Uh, if you're familiar with Ratchet and Clank, it was always looking for the crates. Well, spy vision, you can actually scan the screen with the remote and pull the crates into the universe. So it's a pretty unique experience. Um, you know, the other thing that we really, really focused on are Capcom-esque bosses. So, uh, when you look at a Wii game, uh, when you look at this game, the graphics are just amazing for the Wii. The, the bosses are incredible. The team really, really concentrated on making this really stand out. It's, it's hard to say that after you do a demo after uh, the likes of Lost Planet 2 and Dark Boy. Uh, it's you know, showing a Wii game after those two, but I think you can see from the trailer in our Boss 86 that we really concentrated this on making this Capcom cool. So, uh, you know, as I mentioned, we have two-player plot gameplay. That's me getting off of the slides, being designer as I am. And you can kind of see a rearrangement of what we really wanted to try to do here with making the classic brawler gameplay. So we do have Spyworks out on the show floor. I hope that you guys really go out there and try it. Really, as any Wii game, you really have to go out there and do it. I, I can sit here and, like, mind waggle sort of motions, but I would accidentally punch Morgan in the face, and then that would be bad. So please get out there. It's on the show floor. Uh, check out Spyworks. It's coming out this September. Resident Evil, The Dark Side Chronicles. All the way from Japan, it's a lot of
and of course we've added uh, scoring elements and uh, rankings in this game, so people who play through the game can uh, see how well they do compare themselves. And now I'd like to just say a word about the graphics in the game. I think uh, this game really stands out in the graphic capabilities compared to the previous incarnation. As far as uh, next-gen consoles are concerned, people think that the Wii has certain graphical limitations, so we wanted to find where those limitations are and push through them to make a really pretty game. And if you want to feel this far experience and see the difference in the contrast of light and dark, then please come down to the Capcom booth and you can try this game out. And if uh, you come down to the Capcom booth and try this game out, we will give this t-shirt to you. And it has a little surprise. So please come down and give it a shot. Thanks for listening. Last up, but definitely not least at Comic-Con, is Ace Attorney Investigations, Bob Dunford, with the Shinosan. Thank you. 
それでは、えー、と逆転ゲームのゲーム内容のご説明させていただきます。今回ですね、えーとまあ、逆転ゲームの主人公は、まあ、皆さんご存知の三木礼二が、えー、主人公になっています。今回、逆転ゲームの方は、えー、舞台はですね、法廷から事件現場に移すということで、えー、事件現場を舞台に、
suspicious people, and um, he can get in their faces and present evidence and stuff like that um, to solve the case and get to the bottom of the case. この辺りはあの逆転裁判シリーズの,あの熱い駆け引きというか対決シーンを体験できるのであの従来の,あの熱い部分は継承しているというふうに考えられます。Um, even though there aren't any courtroom scenes,、uh, we still preserve that sort of confrontational、uh, aspect, and so we hope the players will enjoy this new confrontation scenes. For trying it out, if you might、uh, receive either one of these towels,、uh, which are incredibly hard to get a hold of, we gave them to TGS last year to a game show,、um, or you may、uh, get another、uh, one of our free giveaways. <laughs>
And again, thank you. Come on now. Next up. Hi, my question is for Morgan Gray. Uh, working with the team uh, on Dark Void, when the game is completed, by chance uh, be seeing a sequel to the uh, Crimson Skies High Road to Revenge as soon as you're done. That's such a good game. Uh, so sadly, uh, that property is owned by uh, Microsoft, so I can't speak for I can't speak for MS. Uh, I do know that for uh, the airtight guys, though, a lot of things that they wanted to do in that series, in terms of getting out of the plane, uh, experiencing the environments even more, and storytelling techniques, are actually uh, in fruition in Dark Void right now. So if you ask the guys on the team, they'd say that you know, it's sort of the spiritual successor uh, to, to the Crimson franchise. And there's, if you're a big fan of Crimson, there's obviously a couple of... Uh, Deep, uh, deeply hidden in jokes and in references. So that's all I can say about Thank you very much. No worries. Thanks and come on down. Next up. I'm a little short. Um, hello. Um, I just wanted to ask if, despite uh, circumstances of the company won't buy it, if there's a possibility for us fans to hold even if you want Albert Wesker to come back, there's no chance he's coming back. Okay, thank you You heard it here first. No chance. I know they disbanded, says Clover Studio, but any word, anything for Beautiful Joe 3. Does anybody want that one? Takichi san? for a lot of inspiration, 
and a lot of the early, like, Star Wars, I guess it's episode four uh, now, but, yeah, the first one that we know, uh, they're sort of uh, nice, sterile med medical building designs of uh, alien technology and the juxtaposition of the two. So, yeah, obviously there's a big nod to, uh, to Rocketeer. There's probably a little bit of Boba in there, too. She looked. Thanks, man. Alright, this is our last question of the day, unfortunately, so uh, make it a good one. Alright, this question is for Takuji-san and Kuala-san. Uh, earlier in an interview with Mona Takuji-san, you mentioned for the next Resident Evil game after Dark Souls Chronicles, you were interested in rebooting the series. Could you maybe elaborate if you meant you want to reboot it with uh, a new cast, or do you want to keep the same characters and kind of redo the story through the first Kuala? Um, so, is there any reason why, or do you feel that you can ever develop a more traditional Resident Evil game for the Wii, especially after the success of Resident Evil 4 Wii Edition? Okay, well now jump to the side, who has to speak to this one? Um, I don't know about this. Okay, I'm basically going to talk about this. I'm going to talk about this. I think we'll hear from Takuchi-san, uh, or at least he's telling the road something good. Maybe he'll share with the rest of us. As for the, for the future of the, uh, of the main Resident Evil series, um, right now, uh, pretty much every day, myself, Kohata-san, uh, and another producer uh, back in Capcom, uh, Japan, we're um, playing blackjack to decide who is going to be stuck with the responsibility of making the next episode uh, in the series. And uh, it actually looks like uh, neither myself nor Kohata-san are going to be in charge of that. It might be somebody else. So, can't really say that much uh, at this time. All right, well, thanks, thanks very much for, uh, once again, to uh, all you people who came up and asked those questions, and all of our producers. I'm going to turn it over to Francis now again. Thank you very much, Thank you all for coming to our panel. We're going to stay on schedule here. I just want to remind you all that all our producers will be at our Capcom booth. We have a schedule of signings. Uh, you can meet them, speak to them about the games, get their autograph. And also, we have all these cool promos you saw, the shirt off of the ghost t-shirt uh, right there. We have Monster Hunter Freedom Unite uh, Town, Ace Attorney uh, Tens, and of course, these beautiful plushies that everybody wants. Um, come on down. We're happy to see you. And thank you all. We'll see you next time. And that's all for the Capcom panel. We'll be back with more Gundam at MAHQ. Damn it, Bob! I'm about to reach over there and tear you a new Don't be a jackass! I'm with you, Bob! We talked this out! I don't see a need for that kind of language. Now, if you yeah. want to go outside right now, I'll no. take both of you! We're gonna vote, right Alan! We're not gonna fight! We're gonna oh. vote! Let's vote! Let's vote, and then we'll fight! For those fighting game fanatics in the audience, here is an interview with Seth Killian, who is not only the organizer for EVO, but also one of the staff members of Capcom's promotion of their fighting game franchises. 
I'm back here at the Capcom booth with the um, the Bob Barker of fighting game tournaments, Seth Killian. Say something to the audience. Uh, no, my name's Bob Barker. <laughs> He's just missing the Botany 500 suit and the skinny mic. <laughs> but it's a pleasure talking to you, Seth, man. Uh, it's been a long week, I'm sure, a long two weeks for you after um, coming from Evo to come here. I mean, you must be tired. I am extremely tired, but uh, I'm happy. I'm, I think both events have been great. I uh, love seeing everybody come out and play in tournaments, so that keeps me on my toes, but I'm, I'm wearing down. You can see my eyes, yeah. And um, Seth is also one of the head honchos at Capcom-Unity.com, which is a website for all Capcom fans to go to um, to put in their input on games and to just converse and interact. And um, how's that experience been for you? Uh, it's pretty fantastic. So, I mean, I think... Yeah, Capcom has one of the most interesting brand histories, and it's got a lot of great bands, not just of our individual titles, but of Capcom as a brand. So to have a place where everyone is sort of come together and let us let them know that the people making these games are actually there listening to them, and also just be able to talk about fun Capcom stuff, you know. So yeah, we put a bunch of stuff up on the blog every day, just Capcom tattoos or you know some silly video or something. I love it. Um, it's been great. Awesome. I mean, it really did pay off, especially in like um, a game like Street Fighter where people got to vote on the characters that they wanted in the game. A lot of them made it. So, um, and then who knows how the, the upgrade or the next incarnation of Street Fighter 4 would turn out thanks to the site's input. But um, um, an interesting note about Seth, um, the last boss of Street Fighter 4 is also named after you. Is that correct? Uh, something like that. <laughs> Although I, I don't think you take great pride in it uh, out, uh, with the way he is or ended up. That's yeah, true. He's not my favorite character in Street Fighter 4. But um, speaking of evolution this year, it was really exciting. I mean, how was the turnout? Uh, the turnout was massive. I don't know what the numbers total were, but um, based on our fire marshal capacity, we were at uh, over 4,000 people in the ballroom watching the finals. Uh, it was really thrilling. Plus, um, I'd watched the stream online pretty much practically the whole weekend, and uh, that, that final match between Daigo and Justin, it was over. It was around 25,000. I couldn't believe it. And that was actually just at that one moment um, over the course of the weekend there were close to 250,000 people watching individual IPs watching the stream so right on man right on well um speaking of the final match between Dargo and Justin it, it was um it was like the thriller in Manila it was it was really epic man um what were you um after the fight what were your thoughts on it well I think you heard me give a lot of my thoughts on, on the stream commentary itself but uh, I just felt like exhausted not just at the end of a long tournament but at the end of a it was a draining match like there was a lot of emotion and just sort of like uh, it was like a stare down almost where they're just jockeying for position you know not giant super moves every two seconds but just a real battle like a mental battle right on man and, and Justin really hyped up the crowd I mean and Daigo he was Daigo man he was just methodical and and and, and um, but I mean in the end I mean you can see that Justin really came up I mean I I, I one didn't like Justin much at first but after watching that match I have a lot of respect for him I think Justin really goes a long way to win people over, so some people don't like his celebratory attitude in different situations, but uh, when the chips are down, I think everyone can step back and agree he's an amazing player, uh, really elevates the game overall, and yeah, I think it's great. That is
is awesome. Um, some words um, on um, Evo 2010. Um, do you know um, right now what games might be featured there? At Comic Con 2010? No, I'm sorry, Evolution 2010. Uh, yeah, so of course we've been we've been in discussion about uh, all the games. I mean, we'll see Street Fighter 4 there in some form. Uh, Tatsunoko is definitely another major contender right now. Some people talk about Blaze Blue. Uh, that would be a successor to our current Guilty Gear tournament. Um, yeah, Tekken will be out as well, so it's going to be cross-platform fighting madness. Nice, nice. Um, real quick, um, Tatsunoko versus Capcom, when is that due to come out? Uh, all they'll give us specifically right now is winter, so that could mean around Christmas time, it could mean, you know, closer to the New Year's, somewhere in there, but winter, that's about the middle of winter, so hopefully not, not any later than that, I can't wait. We'll, we'll keep a lookout, and uh, NBC2 comes out this, 20, uh, this June 29th on the um, Xbox 360, when does it come out on the PS3? Uh, it'll be two weeks after that, so that's August something, August 13th, 14th, something like that. And that's also when the, um, the mixtape launches as well, right? It is. Those tracks will be ex available exclusively on PSN, and uh, I was really impressed, not just with the quality of the performers, but their knowledge of the games and the way they work it into the rhymes. I, we, we got a lot of hip-hop fans at Capcom, and I was a big hit with everybody. Myself included. Um, let's see. What can, do, what can gamers do to um, hype Evo 2010? I think just show people the stream or sit around and watch it like you'd watch anything else. Um, we were really excited to be able to work on uh, a little more visibility into what the, the tournament scene is all about this year. Uh, just because we've been excited about this for 10 years and keep getting more excited every year. And so I think being able to show other people what that's all about is the best thing you can do to help the tournament. So one, make sure you come out yourself for this awesome time. Two, tell a few friends like what it's all about. And it's a spectator sport now as much as anything else. And just a thrill. I'm certainly going to be there next year. That's my big trip. So I'll, I'll see you there. Um, and other than that, um, my last question is um, Street Fighter 4. Do you think it'll be played on the PC next year? Or will it be on uh, a console next year? You know, I brought up the idea of playing possibly on PC and we didn't um, we haven't really moved on it yet it's something I think we'll consider but probably stick with console you know less change in some regards is good you want some consistent tournament rules so if there's some PC oddity we'll have to consider that but it's been a discussion but no plans right now well Seth thank you so much for talking with me today for Gundam and MAHQ this is Sober Review we'll be back in a few minutes Walter I love you but sooner or later you're gonna have to face the fact you're a goddamn moron And we're back. This panel is the panel for Black Dynamite, which is the upcoming um, black exploitation comedy coming out this October. And it stars Michael Jai White. And here is the panel. Enjoy. Seriously, and to not not make love. Can you not hear me? 
Can you hear me now? <laughs> hey everybody, what's up? Make some noise, Black Dynamite! Comic Con, I can say as I was telling to Sally that you never get used to the idea of seeing an Imperial Star Trooper at the ATM machine. <laughs> but this film is really great because, as you couldn't hear me say before, it's very smart, it's very funny, and it doesn't play the obvious jokes. It creates a world of, of its own. It takes the genre of black exploitation, which a lot of people would say was kind of half parody anyway but plays in a way that you know the filmmaker knows what he's doing, that you know the co-star and the writers know what they're doing. And let me introduce uh, the cast to you. First, I'll start with, on my immediate left, the director and co-writer, Scott Sanders. His co-writer and co-star, Byron Mintz. The man with the plan and the nunchucks, Black Dynamite himself, <laughs> And on his left, Sally Richardson with you. Please go ahead. Now, Michael, I understand this was your idea. You were listening to uh, James Brown album and sort of thought, this could be me. Well, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> strange enough, I was, I was in Bulgaria, of all places, uh, doing uh, uh, Undisputed 2. And uh, on comes my iPod. Uh, uh, James Brown's Super Bad comes on. And, uh, and I got this idea of this, this movie that's set in the 70s and, you know, where this, this whole scope of it was. And uh, when I got back home, I did my own little uh, makeshift uh, uh, photo shoot. And, and actually, incidentally, the, the, one of the costumes I rented is the same costume I end the movie with. And it's, uh -huh. it, it, so it just you know, kind of went in full circle. And uh, then you know, Scott and I were getting together on another project that he, he had written. And he was asking what I was uh, going through, you know, what was I up to, and I showed him the picture. And from that moment on, Scott was like, yo, man, I'm in. <laughs> so Scott and I have been wanting to work together for years again. Uh, you know, since our, our first name, he directed me in, uh, in Thick as Thieves. But uh, here we are. You know, we uh, put it all together, and here we are. I have to ask, because I you guys have hit it, you ever saw Three the Hard Way, which is... Oh, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> That's Fred Williams not doing audience, but we'll get that later. <laughs> <laughs> well, our movie is actually, I mean, very, the plot is pretty much based on Three the Hard Way, so, you know, yeah, we've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because there's a kind of a conspiracy in black exploitation films that this movie really, really uses in a really fun way. And I just wonder, as you guys are sitting there and talk about the writing of it, how you decided where you were going to go with it. Well, yeah, we, we, wanted to, we wanted to be true to the majority of the, the, that era. I know it was, it was called black exploitation, but it didn't start, at, at, you know, with that exploitive uh, 
fashion. I mean, we, there are movies that stand the test of time that, I mean, you can watch the Mac right now, and that movie stands up. Just keep in mind, too, that the chef that saved MGM from bankruptcy in 1970. Oh, oh, yeah. They were coming off the studio. Oh, yeah. This genre saved Hollywood. Absolutely, because they, they, they found movies that they could make at a budget that people love, and they just stayed up. And then, they, you know, it got good to them, and then they, they put less and less money and time into the filmmaking process, thus the exploitative nature of it. And, uh, See, and what happens is that it happens in every case, the audience has got tired of it. After that point, they left black audiences alone for almost another 10 years. Well, well yeah, absolutely. They, you know, then what, it, what happened is that they, they started becoming corporate, yeah. which it is today. And it's, uh, it's you know, become very formula. And so we, we, we kind of broke from formula to give you a straight breast milk. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, went so far. There's a movie uh, called Mean Mother, which has it's just it's basically an Italian movie, and they wanted to make it a black exploitation movie, so they took ten minutes of like shot ten minutes of like black exploitation footage, and then put this stuck this Italian movie for like the last seventy minutes of the movie. So it's like I don't know. I think it's fine. <laughs> well, there are a lot of fun. Because you also wrote a part for yourself in this, I guess. Was that kind of the way you were going about this as you guys were working on this? That you knew you were going to be in it? Or? No, actually, it was like that occurred with Drew Bullhorn. Yeah, actually, it was Mike who encouraged me to do Bullhorn. I, I was writing just for the sake of writing. Uh, I focused a lot on, on Black Dynamite and everyone else. And it was. Uh, during our uh, talks, that I would go through the uh, what I felt Bullhorn should sound like, and Mike was like, "Who else? Who else to do it?" <laughs> we should say, I mean, it's almost a dead-on Rudy Ray Moore impression. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he'd come back to life. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, Byron's very modest. By Byron had an encyclopedic knowledge of these movies. Like I thought I knew. Uh, the black exploitation genre. This man would just do monologues off the top of his head. It was just, it was just insane. And so it was really kind of you know, predestined. And we work side by side, act side by side, and I think he's, you know, so he's, he's a tremendous actor and, and, and my brother. So um, I don't know, you know, there's, we, he, he's known for playing some, some pretty you know, intense roles in the past. And, you know, and a lot of folks uh, grew up on uh, uh, South Central. Yeah. The movie South Central. Ray Ray. Ray Ray. There it is. Yeah. Ray Ray's back. <laughs> yeah. So it's not just Comic Con. Cool. Thank you, black man. Sally, <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask what you thought when you, when you saw the script because it's uh, you play a very complicated character in this. Well, I was just. I was excited about doing it, and I, you know, in every one of these movies, there's always the glory. There's always the, the nice, fair-skinned one who's, um, you know, she's going to fight the power. <laughs> That's just, I mean, it's just every one. And I went back, and I looked at all the films, and I was so excited about my afro, and it just, <laughs> and 
It's a no. pretty massive afro. Listen, <laughs> once, once you get that afro on and some big chunky earrings, you're ready to go. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was, it, it just seemed to be a great fit. And I think I sort of came in at the last moment and they didn't know what I was going to do and it seemed to really uh, work out and I didn't know what the film was going to be because you never know when you're coming into something you know, there's an independent like this, and they had a dream of what it was going to be, and I think that um, it, it, it worked out, and it, it turned into something great. We, 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 we talk about it over and over. The, the greatest piece of casting in this film was Sally. Oh. It's, 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 we, we were so lucky. <laughs> anything that we could have dreamed. I mean, you know, it's a lot more than putting on the afro wig and, 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 and earrings because she embodied this, this, uh, back then people came from a soul. There was a definite soul there. There's, it sounds like a, a throwback to when people had to come from, they had to have this sustenance. Uh, and it's rare these days to find, you know, actress, the actresses of her age group that act, that harken back to such a richness and such a quality, this timeless quality that she exudes, and her her comic timing is just amazing. We're just you know. Well, I think that my job was to play it straight and real, completely straight, even when they were doing things that were ridiculous next to me, which would make what they were doing. More money. So I was—I I knew my job was to be the straight man, and that's what I came to do. I'm glad you said that, Michael, because you guys do create a reality in this. I mean, because if you were just to play it for laughs, then nobody would laugh at it. You were trying to find a way to make black dynamite seem real, didn't you? Absolutely. I, I think that's where the, the humor lies. One of, one of the things that—one um, of the first things that Mike had said to me when uh, he had called me was, imagine if you and I were making a film back then. And we didn't have the budget, we didn't have the experience, but we wanted to make a film. How would we make it? And that's, that's pretty much what we did. Because Scott, I was wondering how it was when you would talk to people about this, how you, how you would describe the movie to them. Because if you make one wrong turn and make it sound like it's too much of a parody, then people kind of go, no, I don't want to do this. I mean, what would you say to them about it? I mean, I think just, by virtue of the fact that we were going to set, set it in the 70s, already kind of separated it, you know, like, no, we're not making, you know, we're going to try to hold it as tight and as close to a 70s movie as possible, but like, in the Spinal Tap way of just turning everything to 11, you know. I mean, that was just sort of the, the idea. And, um, you know, I mean, you know, I think a lot of it had to do with just watching a lot of movies, you know, and, and it, Mike had made a, a, like a, a best of real clip of, of of, of just black exploitation, you know, movies, and like, a lot of it has to do with just strange deliveries of things, you know, like, you know, uh, um, did you do the Bucky line? Oh yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Rudy Ray Moore, we, we took a line from Rudy Ray Moore's Avenging Disco Godfather, and it's in, you should do it, Mike. <laughs> well, yeah, there's, there's influences all over the place. I mean, you know, as people who know Rudy Ray Moore, he had a particular delivery. Like, he, it's, it's funny, he would just go dead when other people were speaking. He'd just blank out. <laughs> and then, you know, then 
When it was his line, it'd be like 1001, 1002. Where's Bucky? What's that? I don't know. So like, we just get like tons of stuff like that. Like, I don't know why where's Bucky and what does he have is funny. Like something about it's just something about the strange delivery of it.
we heard of something like this. I mean, because I'm guessing it's, it goes against everything acting is supposed to be. It's supposed to be in the moment. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm channeling that <laughs> kind of stuff, you know. And, you know, and all these little idiosyncratic moments that, that you know, we comprise to develop the film. There's a lot, a lot of different acting styles. If you, if anybody uh, who's familiar with those, those moments, like even when the, in the opening scene, uh, we, we give a nod to, uh, and a number of those films were acted by like theatrical actors. They would like hire somebody who's doing Shakespeare all the time, and now the guy's playing. Black uh, uh, like William Marshall. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. So, so you know, so there, the guy sounds like William F. Buckley delivering like jive to. The point for you that must have been like trying to find a way to bring all these things together because it is a bunch of films. It's not just. Uh, but there will be way more films, but it's a lot of different things. Yeah, a lot of different things. We have influences from Into the Dragon. We have influences and straight ripped off of lines of like, a lot of movies. And, you know, it'll be a fun thing to start to piece it together and say, well, you know, say where this came from and where that came from. Okay, are we now asking the red clip? Chicago uh, Red. Let's take a, a look for a taste of Black Dynamite for real this time, I swear to God. You don't believe in God, Joe Morgan? Is that what you're Is somebody selling black dynamite on the street in front of the Oh, oh, oh. Oh, the other one. So, how's your convention? I'm not swearing anymore, obviously.
Batman we showed that clip because the first time I saw it, you were blinking with the nunchucks. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> That's a, little, yeah, that's a little influence from uh, Jim Brown. <laughs> Jim Brown used to blink, so anytime he shot a gun, he'd blink. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I borrowed uh, Jim Kelly's Kia. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it was a very distinct yell that he oh! <laughs> <laughs> And you borrowed his wig as well. One stunt man that I, I actually. <laughs> beat up three times in that, that same clip. Damien Fournier. <laughs> 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 he, he flew out the window. <laughs> and then he got there. Yeah. And, and that, that is no, that's no like temperature. He flew out the window. <laughs> Discontinuity was always a part of those things. Exactly. They didn't have enough people, so they didn't have enough people saying, God, thank you. Exactly. So, yeah. if, if, you know, if you can find those things, you get extra points. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys have a website for, the, for, for Black Dynamite? Yeah, uh, www.blackdynamite.com. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, one of the things that you were saying, Sally made sense to me. Once you put that wig on, then it kind of makes sense to you, doesn't it? I mean, what you're supposed to be doing. I, I think when you do any role, once you get on, I mean, you know, besides your other, as soon as they call me, I took out all the Pam Greer movies, you know, I had to look at it. But once you put on the whole costume, you have to, it, it helps you feel what you have to do. So in, um, in, in watching Pam, I realized how bad, nothing can serve, how bad the acting is in all of those movies. <laughs> and at least they, they, they stay true all of the breaths that were in the movie. Like, you have that one bedroom scene. And what I noticed watching the movie was like every time, I'm, I guess this will be in your other movies with other actresses, but um, every time the women would fight in these movies, like the first hit was always like, so a big titty would fall out. <laughs> and I'm looking, I'm going, are you, it, it's the amount of nudity that was in these old films that every time women fought, they always had their breasts out. They were always fighting happening. <laughs> Every single one of them. It was amazing. It has nothing to do with what you asked me, but I was just amazed. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing, I kind of be interested. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Yonka. I appreciate it. Yonka, where are you? I know, I know. <laughs> 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 but it's all those things, not the day I saw this movie, I went back to the hotel, and Trump Turner was on. Which is a serious question. <laughs> <laughs> and it's no different. And the thing you were talking about, the and everybody's working as hard as they can. You see the effort going into it. Oh, they're almost sweating. They're trying so hard to act. Michelle yeah. Nichols is in Chuck Turner. Mm -hmm. yeah, she plays one of the baddest, badass women that you ever saw in a movie. You should read that. I mean, I'm talking about Lieutenant Uhuru. <laughs> and she's so cold. And she's so fierce. Isaac Hayes is standing like this. <laughs> shows up in the movie, you know he's there to betray somebody. I mean, so all And every time, I mean, it didn't fail in every black flotation movie, 
white people are depicted by the poor. And it's the craziest thing. Like it's like a Snoop video. Yeah, it's, it's like every time you show the, the, the man, he's poolside. Oh my God! What's the big gold phone? So that phone, that phone that nobody has anymore. Yeah. So we, before I go to front, so I guess we'll take some audience questions. There's a microphone right here for those of you who have questions, and there must be some here. Hello. Alright. Okay. Um, I have a question for um, Mark J. White. Like, I noticed that most of your movies, like Spawn, even Universal Soldier 2. And um, Dark Knight, you're always playing like the super badass, like totally serious, like no last character. Like, what's it like switching from like both serious roles to like the serious roles that were like we're just laughing our asses off? Well, it's it's weird. It's like uh, when I play the badass, it seems to overshadow other things. But in a lot of movies and television, I, I tend to be in a number of cases the comic relief. I mean, I'm doing the, uh, currently shooting Why Did I Get Married Part 2, which is, you know, another thing that I'm, you know, play comic relief in. But, you know, it's, it's, it's about, you know, layering your roles and, and uh, you know, it's about the marathon, not necessarily the sprint, you know. So, I, you know, I, I fight hard not to just be pigeonholed as the, the tough guy. And the time you guys were together before, the figure Steve's your comic relief in that, too. Yeah, the figure Steve, you, you, yeah, you keep on going with it. There's a number of... These things, but it's like since it's not what I'm you know, kind of categorically known for, sometimes people forget about that type of stuff. All right, thanks for reminding me. You guys wrong. Thank you. Before I get back to my pool, I had just have one question. <laughs> the type of phone Elvis is talking about. This question is for Sally. With the support of these folks, is there the possibility of seeing a reboot or, or a remake of Coffee? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm talking about titties popping out. <laughs> yes, you are talking about the popping out. Believe me, I would love to do the badass, uh, you know, that badass woman that was in all those movies. So, uh, I will look over to uh, Michael and see if that ever happens. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, should, we talk about 70s black movies too. In 1975, the three biggest female stars in the world were Faye Dunaway, Barbara Streisand, and Pam Greer. I mean, that's how big it is. First of all, I loved it. That was awesome. <laughs> and uh, this, this, um, this is a question for Michael. Um, the action sequence that we just saw, um, could, you have a, uh, I'm sure you had the training before the movie filming. Uh, could you uh, tell us a uh, you know, bit about your um, training uh, process, I guess? Oh, well, well, I've been doing martial arts uh, for a long time, ever since I was a kid. I had uh, uh, actually seven different black belts in a different style. I mean, but, 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 no, 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 this was basically, uh, you know, we, we did it 70 style, which is really a, kind of a basic style. It's not really too difficult to perform, but it's, uh, you know, because, you know, we want to stay within that genre, but kind of we bumped it up a little bit. A little bit you were like popping a guy out the window. 
What's that? <laughs> you like talking to guys at the window. Oh, I'm going to talk to some guys at the window who came, came you know, early. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I mean, I'm trained. Byron is also a martial artist. He's trained for 20-some-odd years. But, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, t I, I touch on different styles. Basically, like, at that time, it was a lot of Shotokan, that Japanese style that really was predominant in the movies of the 70s. So I chose to do that style. It's also the style, too, where people only come to you one at a time. Everybody else stands at the Actually, Byron does Dolomite style kung fu. <laughs> uh, we got a contest for the movie. So we kept going with that clip. Uh, you would have seen. Yeah. So real. <laughs> yeah. So real kung fu. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much. Those high heel boots are heavy to pick up off the ground, so of course they were surreal. Hi guys, uh, first of all, I'm a big fan. Of, I'm a big starstruck. Uh, and congratulations on your Sundance reviews. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, really quick question to any of you guys. Do you guys uh, parody by any chance any of the black exploitation films like Sweet Sweet Bag or uh, Coffee by any chance, like take lines and parody them? Oh, absolutely. Throughout the movie, I mean, there's some, like there's certain things that we kept alive. Like since, since Sweet Sweet Bad, it was you know like 70 percent of that movie was a chase scene. <laughs> and, and it seems like there's an obligatory chase scene in every exploitation movie since then. And it's just, just certain things that just became part of that that whole scope. You know, there's a, there's a top shot from Shaft. You know, if anybody knows, and, and that's duplicated all over and over. So we, we definitely had our homage to sweep back to just so many of them. Well, there's things that you guys wanted to put in that you just weren't able to get in because there's so much stuff we did. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we had a lot of stuff that we, you know. We had, yeah, we had like a 10-minute cut out of the movie that used to be in the movie, like a straight cut. That kind of, we kind of tied some stuff together. So we had a whole, we had a whole, we had a whole kung fu banquet. <laughs> <laughs> That is just kind of in the movie, but it was a whole thing, you know, that's not, you know, being the DVDs when you guys started. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Michael, I think you're a badass. For this project, do you actually want it to be where it's at right now, like published or publicized, actually? Or are you actually aiming for a more publicized, like, stand for this project? Well, I like where we're at. I mean, and, and, and I like it uh, to spread spread roots from you know audience like such as this. And we, you know, and the love that we're getting from festivals is like it's 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 great validation. And it's you know it's presenting it it's presented not like it's some huge machine that's forcing things down your throat. It's very much from the uh, from people speaking out and people, you know, really enjoying what we, what we put out. So that, that feels just like the best. And, uh, and I guess I can say, I, I gotta remember how to say this. And uh, now we have, uh, probably, we, we have an announcement of a cartoon.
I was going to say, there's a big anime section of this film, too, that... That's not Bring Back Memory. Sally Ravick is a kid who replaced her sex scene. <laughs> 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 we animated her sex scene. And you know what? It works so much better. Than <laughs> 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 a real, like, you know, naked sex scene in it. That, if they do it all in cartoon, and it's hilarious. What do you think that graphic depiction of a graphic scene come from? Well, you know where it came from. They're like a, a famous poster that a lot of folks have seen of the Zodiac. <laughs> but then, then, you know, Say a little bit of that. There's a zodiac poster that lights up. That's the black light black poster. Light poster. <laughs> yeah, you know, and the Pussy Shaman. I'll describe it three words. Bad you us. Thank you so much. Hey, this isn't a uh, question. It's more of just like uh, thank you for making a fucking badass movie uh, and not, you know, pulling the punches, not making a PG-13 because, you know. All the studios are going by formulas now, and you know, Die Hard's being PG-13 and everything like that. Thank you for making this movie. All my friends are excited about it. I'm still for my most. It's a movie I'm looking forward to the most this year. So okay. thank you, thank you very much. because you guys made this outside the studio system. Oh, definitely. It's a real passion project for you. Absolutely. We, we thought the way to do this is independent. And so we can get the movie done that we want. Oh, was there ever any attempt that you guys had to think about trying to go to a major production company with studio source for, for funding for it? Or did it just feel like the best way to go all ways? This, this is the best way to go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we get pretty much early in. Yeah. <laughs> 
And my main question would be, since it's a 70s black exploitation film, would uh, concern the soundtrack. Now, would it feature like some classic 70s songs, or would it be new material and like some samples, or are you going to pull a Ruby Ray and cover the soundtrack yourself? Well, uh, I, I'm glad you mentioned that. Our soundtrack is a character of its own, and it's, it is unique, and the man who's behind it is, is in this room. That man that is, it was not Will I Am, but looks like <laughs> Adrian Young, AJ. I test the music. I was in the makeup trailer the other day, like just about three days ago, while and on on the set, and and we we all listened to the you know to the same um, iPod, whatever. And I mixed my my stuff in there. I played some of our. Original music that he made. Everybody's thinking, well, who's this? Is this Curtis Mayfield? Is this Willie Hutch? And I was just like, knowingly, just smile. All right. I tell them finally, after they heard like the third or fourth cut, I said, no, that's original. That's AJ. He, he created this. He, and AJ has been playing this music in his, in his garage for years. And, and he, he's just amazing. And actually, Joe Scott, who heard it, said, you got to get, get AJ to call me today. I'm working on a new album, and I want that brother on my album. Yeah, hi. Good afternoon. Um, I think the movie's fantastic. I've been following the movie ever since I saw it, ever since I heard about it online. And I wanted to know, like, you said um, October 16th, right? Is that like for like mass release, or is that just going to be like it's like theaters where I have to go, like, God knows where I can watch it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, a lot of independent movies start off in like a few theaters, and then they just kind of branch out. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure, like, hopefully, you know, it'll branch out pretty soon. But I think we're starting off in like New York, uh, Philly, DC, and. Uh, San Diego. No.
sure ass do it. Now, I'm going to have you talk about don't you have to call and interrupt my phone. Dynamite. It's your only brother, too. <laughs> Station in the MHQ production. Holy shit! Do I really gotta be the asshole that says we got in this thing and went back in time? It must be some kind of hot tub time machine. That is the dumbest fing thing I've ever heard in my fing life. Ever! Scientifically possible. Oh, tell us how it's scientifically possible, Professor Hawking. I will, because I write Stargate fan fiction. This is my bread and butter, man. Oh, my God. I seriously almost passed out. You're such a dork. Hot Tub Time Machine, based on the incredible true story. Time isn't linear. We just perceive it that way. Ah, like the Terminator. The machines see a Schwarzenegger back to kill Sarah Connor so that John Connor could never be born. But if John Connor don't see a Michael Bean back... To protect her, then they never f and John Connor ain't born in the first place. Yeah. yeah. That checks out, right? That's good. Yeah. We stuck in the 80s. How's supposed to get a job?